Thanks, everybody. Morning, folks. I'm Pastor Stephen DeWitt. Great to be with you today. Would you please turn in your Bibles, if you're so inclined, to John chapter 1. The words will also be printed for you on the screen. John 1, beginning at verse 43. Listen to God's word. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nathaniel. I like Nathaniel. Nathaniel seems to be a pretty straightforward kind of guy. He says what's on his mind, and he seems to approach life with a healthy amount of skepticism. He's not cynical. He's not incredulous, but he certainly is discerning. Uh, he makes it his business to be discerning. So when Nathaniel hears what Philip says about finding the Messiah... And that the Messiah is from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, maybe Nathaniel was, was being a little bit judgmental. Maybe he was buying into some of the prejudices that people would say about Nazareth and people from Nazareth. Maybe, probably. But more than anything else, I think Nathaniel was just surprised. Because this is totally unexpected. I mean, Nazareth? If God was going to jump down from heaven and land somewhere on earth, why in the world would he land in Nazareth? It, it boggles the mind. It makes no earthly sense. So I think Nathaniel is right to be skeptical. Because it is astonishing that God jumped out of heaven and landed in Nazareth. And that's part of the point, is that that's a really strange thing to do. And so Nathaniel has a lot of questions. He has a lot of questions, and for good reason. How would you respond if your friend came up to you today and said that he's found the Messiah and that the Messiah is from Middleville and you should go check him out? You'd go, Middleville? You would have questions about the guy from Middleville. 
That was Nathaniel's reaction to this news about the Messiah, to this news about Jesus. He had questions. He wanted to figure things out. He wanted to get to the bottom of it. He wanted to investigate. He wanted to apply his deductive, skeptical mind to all of this business about the Messiah so he could discern what was actually going on. And good for him. Good for him. So Nathaniel gets up and he makes his way over to this Jesus guy with all of these questions in hand. He's got all these questions and he's ready to get to the bottom of what's going on. And before he even gets there, Jesus says something. Jesus does something that makes all of his questions melt away. And Nathaniel is stopped in his tracks. During Epiphany... We're doing this sermon series called Secret Jesus, where we're following the gospel lectionary texts, and we're examining this very uh, strange theme that re-emerges in the gospels, which scholars call the messianic secret. The messianic secret is this strange thing that happens in the gospels where we're introduced to, to Jesus We're given pretty good evidence of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he has uh, come to bring redemption to the entire cosmos, and then all of that information is then treated like it's a big secret. Don't tell anybody. So, for example, um, there are numerous places in the Gospels where Jesus miraculously heals people who are sick, and they say, oh, wow, Jesus, this is so great. You healed me. Thanks for healing me. I can't wait to tell everyone that you healed me so that they might believe in you. And Jesus says, no, 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 please don't do that. Please don't tell people about this. Not yet. It's a secret. Which is so strange. So there's this kind of deflection of the truth away from Jesus' identity early in the Gospels. Why wouldn't Jesus want people to know immediately who he was? So uh, last week we looked at the story of Jesus' baptism and and, uh, John the Baptist kind of preparing the way for Jesus. And we talked about how one reason for the messianic secret is so that Jesus gets to define himself. A lot of people would have liked to define who the Messiah is and what the Messiah should do. But no, no, no. One reason for the messianic secret is because Jesus wants to speak first. He wants to say who he is. He doesn't want to march behind any of our flags right? We don't get to chart the course for the Messiah. He's going to do that himself. And then this week, we encounter the the messianic secret through the story of Nathanael. Nathanael's ready to uncover the secret, and he stopped in his tracks. Philip tells his buddy Nathanael, we found the Messiah. Wow, that's amazing, okay? Nathaniel, ever the curious type, with this healthy amount of skepticism, decides he's going to see for himself. So he goes on this messianic fact-finding mission. It's a messianic fact-finding mission. And he's going to examine the evidence, and he's going to make his own judgment about whether or not Philip is correct in his assessment. But then before Nathaniel can even ask any of his questions, before Nathaniel even approaches Jesus, while he is still quite a few paces off, Jesus looks out and he says a couple of things that make Nathaniel stop. 
Now, I want to give you a fair warning. I am about to geek out just a little bit. Okay? <laughs> there are a couple of things in this text. There's a, a couple of things in this story, things happening in this interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus that cause me, a Bible geek, to get a little too excited. And I'm going to share those things with you. To my fellow geeks, you're welcome. To those of you who are not Bible geeks, hang with me. You also may find this interesting. Okay? Let's go through this one verse at a time. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, and he says, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Okay. Verse 48. Nathanael asks, How do you know me? Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. You know what that means? Neither do I. <laughs> Nobody knows what that means. We have no idea what that means. It's this little piece of information that Jesus knows about and Nathaniel knows about, and the two of them have this major connection over it. Something at some time happened to Nathaniel or by Nathaniel under some fig tree, and those are the only two people that know about it. Interesting. Okay, moving on. Verse 49. Nathaniel freaks out a little bit because Jesus knows about the fig tree. Verse 50. Jesus says, don't freak out so much about the, the fig tree. Verse 51. Jesus says, Nathaniel, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what does that mean? You will see heaven open, and you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, Bible geeks, Jesus is referring to a story in Genesis 28, where Jacob who's one of the, the, the major patriarchs in the faith, okay? Jacob has just lied to his father Isaac, and he has just stolen his birthright from his brother Esau, and he was on the run so that he wouldn't be killed. He had broken the law. He had disappointed his entire family. Jacob was out there making all the worst decisions, so he runs away. And Jacob comes to this place, which would later be called Bethel, which was in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness if you were listening to that last week. He comes to the wilderness. He's totally alone. He has no one in his corner, and Jacob lays his head down on a rock, and he falls asleep. While he is sleeping, he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a stairway or a ladder which is resting on earth, and it has its uh, top up in heaven, and there are angels of God ascending and descending on it. And it turns out, God was there with Jacob. He thought he had no one in his corner. And why would he have anyone in his corner? He had just, forget everybody, and he ran away, okay? But it turns out God was there. And so Jacob, this lying thief who is on, on the, on run for, on running for his life, has this message from God, which is, I love you. I will make your name great. I will give you descendants, and I will go with you. To make this even geekier, more geeky, geekier, verse 47, when Nathaniel, kind of at the beginning of the story, when Nathaniel begins to approach Jesus and Jesus shouts out, he says, oh, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Guess what? That word Israelite 
is also a reference to Jacob. Later in his life, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And the word for deceit comes from the same Hebrew word as Jacob's name. Jacob's name means deceiver. Isn't that fascinating, fellow geeks? So when Jesus calls out to Nathanael while he's still far off, he, what he actually literally says is, here is a real Jacob in whom there is no Jacob. Isn't that fascinating? And then a little bit later on, uh, he tells Nathanael that he will witness the same kind of glory that Jacob witnessed. Here is a real Jacob in whom there is no Jacob. And you, Nathanael, just like Jacob, will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Geeking over. What does this mean? What is the significance of this Nathaniel-Jacob connection? We don't really know. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. We don't really know. Um, we have some guesses, and I'll share, one, I'll share my best guess in a little bit, but we don't really know. And I'm sorry if this is frustrating for you. I assure you it's also frustrating for me because there's this really cool, really strong connection between Nathaniel and Jacob. Maybe it has something to do with fig trees. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Nathaniel's father's name was Jacob and that hit him in his heart. I don't know. But we just don't know much about Nathaniel. And we're never really told much more about him. In the Gospels, we don't hear anything about him until, again, until after the resurrection. This is by far the most we ever hear about Nathaniel. This is our greatest insight into him, and it leaves us with so many unanswered questions. So a question you might have for me is, well, Stefan, why even bring it up then? Good question. Here's the thing. Did you notice how when Nathaniel heard about the possibility of this Messiah, he set out on this messianic fact-finding mission. He set out, he was going to examine the evidence and he was going to make his own assessment. He had questions and he was going to figure things out and he was going to get to the bottom of it and he was going to apply his deductive skeptical mind to all of this business about the Messiah. But then, instead of initiating an investigation, Nathaniel is the one who gets investigated. Instead of being the subject of the investigation, Nathaniel becomes the object of the investigation. Instead of going out to see what happens, what's happening, Nathaniel is the one who gets seen in ways that you and I don't even know about. He gets seen. Nathaniel heard from somebody that this guy from Middleville might be the Messiah. And his first inclination is, I'm going to go see for myself. I'm going to ask these questions. I'm going to figure these things out. And that's a perfectly fine inclination to have. And in fact, that's the kind of inclination that I hope all of us have. However, if this guy from this proverbial Middleville does turn out to be the Messiah, then we better be ready for there to be a shift 
in our relationship toward him. You know what I mean? See, if Jesus is the Messiah, then he's not a specimen to be studied and measured and judged. The Messiah is not a puzzle to solve or a deduction to make or a witness to cross-examine. If he's the Messiah, he's a force, right? He is a presence. He is a reality. He is the, man- he is the physical manifestation of God and he is not meant to be handled. And Nathaniel runs face first into that reality. <laughs> he's got a fistful of questions and he's running down the road and Jesus says one thing and suddenly he's not the examiner, he's the examined. Nathaniel could have written Psalm 139. <gasps> Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit you know when I rise. And here's the line, you perceive my thoughts from afar. We don't know what happened to Nathaniel under that fig tree, and we don't have to know. We don't know the connection between Nathaniel and Jacob, and we don't have to know. Obviously, we weren't meant to know but we were meant to know and we were meant to see that any true encounter with the Messiah will, make, will very quickly make us the object rather than the subject. So that even while we're examining and even while we have that healthy skepticism and even while we're trying to get to the bottom of who Jesus is, he will also be getting to the bottom of who we are. And that's how this thing works. It is so easy, isn't it, to live our lives from a place of critical examination of others. I'm going to go see that for myself. I'm going to go figure out what's going on there. We, we spend a lot of time operating from the position of, I don't agree with that. I don't think that this is good. I think that those people should be talking to those people. I think everyone should think this. I think everyone should believe that. And when Nathaniel has an encounter with the Messiah, he is very quickly shut up and he is caused to look inward. Jesus turns the spotlight around on Nathaniel. Jesus turns the spotlight around on us so that it's not just that we see, but that we are seen. We're talking about humility. We're talking about openness. We're talking about vulnerability. We're talking about willingness. We're talking about submission. Very briefly, let me leave you with two 
applications to consider, okay? Number one, this very hard season might be a great season for us to be, to be doing some personal reflection, for us to be turning that spotlight inside. So that instead of looking out there and looking at what others are doing and looking at what others are saying, it might be just the right time for us to look inward and to ask ourselves, maybe with a friend, maybe with a professional, to ask ourselves, what is going on inside of me right now? Why am I living the way that I'm living? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? What are the fears that are driving me right now? I think that's such a big one for all of us right now. Our fears. Our fears. What are the fears that are driving me right now? What are the fears that are motivating my behavior? What are the fears that are motivating my anxieties? Why am I speaking the way I'm speaking? Why am I showing up the way I'm showing up? What are the fears behind that for me? Huh. Let's reflect on those things and let's speak to Jesus about them. He is eager for us to know that he knows us. And then secondly, we don't know exactly what the connection is between Nathaniel and Jacob. We're not sure what it, what it means. But if you made me guess... And if I had to guess, I would say that it's this. I think that Jesus wanted Nathanael to connect himself with Jacob because Jacob was God's favorite failure. God was nuts about Jacob. He just loved him. It was the, it's the weirdest thing. He loved him like crazy. Like, unlike he loved anyone else in all of Scripture. And Jacob makes mistake after mistake. And his story is, is a story of failure after failure. And all along the way, God is just so madly in love with him. It's almost comical how much God loves Jacob. He just can't get enough. He's just so crazy about Jacob. And the message that I get from the story of Jacob and the message I wonder if Nathaniel gets from the story of Jacob is... You know, if God can love Jacob, then he can love just about anybody. I think Jesus wants Nathaniel to know. I think Jesus wants us to know that he sees us and that he's with us and that he's crazy about us. He loves us. Pray with me. Lord, you have searched us and you have known us. You know when we sit down. You know when we stand up. Just like Nathaniel, you have perceived our thoughts from afar. Today, Lord Jesus... With all the humility that we can muster, we submit ourselves to your gaze. Because it is a good gaze, and it is a gentle gaze, and it is a loving gaze. 
May we do the hard work necessary to turn the spotlight in on ourselves, to examine our motivations and our fears. And in doing so, may we become more open, more gracious, more loving, and more generous. We thank you that even while we seek out the truth about you, you show us the truth about us. Thank you for the good and loving way with which you treat us, Lord, as foolish as we may be. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the courage uh, to open ourselves up to the loving examination of Jesus. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving eyes toward you and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid. But may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit fill you. Amen. When the sea is calm and 
all is right When I feel your favor flood my life Even in the good I'll follow you Even in the good I'll follow you When the boat is tossed upon the waves when I wonder if you'll keep me safe Even in the storms I'll follow you Even in the storms I'll follow you I believe everything that you say you are I believe that I have seen your unchanging Heart in the good things in the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I see the wicked prospering When I feel I have no voice to sing even in the want, I'll follow you. Even in the want, I'll follow you. Cause I believe everything that you say you are. I believe that I have seen your unchanging heart in the good things, in the hardest parts. I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I find myself so far from home And you lead me somewhere I don't want to go Even in my death I'll follow you even in my death, I'll follow you. When I come to end this race I've run, and I receive the prize that Christ has won, I will be with you in paradise. Yes, I will be with you in paradise. Everything that you say you are I believe that I have seen Your unchanging heart In the good things In the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you In the good things, in the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you Cause when the sea is calm and all is right 
When I feel your favor flood my life, even in the good, I'll follow you. Even in the good. 